Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, as Martina said, those of you who don't know me, my name is Leonard, and I'm one of the elders here, together with Martinez and his wife, LaSalle, my wife over there, and Karl and Naku are not here this morning. Kala is in um, Russia, and Naku is taking a bit of a breather. She's been running hard for a while, so she's having a bit of a rest time. Um, but Kala, it seems like he's, he's doing well. We, we got a photo from him yesterday of him, and you guys know Mervis. Those of you who know Mervis, the worship leader with the American accent, who's actually Afrikaans. Um, it was a photo of them two in their kamriyasa, uh, in their robes, just coming out of a Russian banya, is what you call it. So that's like a Russian sauna, basically, that you go sit together. And then when you come out, they hit you with these, um, almost like grass. They hit you with grass type of things. And then you jump into a cold pool, like icy cold pool, and then get back into the sauna and you go through that process. So I could just imagine Kala and Mervis in the, in the sauna, <laughs> in their Speedos, talking in, with the American accents, both of them. <laughs> both Afrikaans. <laughs> Definitely, they'll speak English to each other the whole time, but, but they are Afrikaans. Anyway, let me pray for us. Let me pray. Yeah, Father, we thank you for this morning, God, and we, Lord, we really appreciate the fact that we can so freely worship you as we did. God, we thank you for just the gift of, uh, of being able to come into your presence that you gave us, Jesus Christ. By dying on a cross for us, by making a way open to not just know intellectually about the Father, but to really experientially know the Father. And I thank you for that privilege as your sons and daughters to know you experientially and to really be able to come close to you, Lord. We don't deserve it. We know we don't deserve it. But still, in your grace, um, you come close to us as well when we come close to you. Thank you for that, God. Amen. Amen. So this morning, just with the message that I want to share, it's going to link on mostly with what Kala shared last week. Uh, and for those of you who weren't here, Kala specifically spoke about a passage, Ephesians 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. And in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, there are three portions of Scripture specifically that encourage us to bring what you have. It encourages us specifically that each of us have a unique and special thing that God has given to all of us, and it's different for each person, but that we should bring that to the kingdom of God, to his church, to his people. And so Kala specifically spoke about Ephesians 4, which speaks about apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors, yes. Speaks about that one. Then we've got um, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, which many of you would know, which speaks about the gifts of the Spirit. So that's prophecy, word of knowledge, things like that, interpretation of, um, of tongues and the speaking in tongues. Different gifts that God has given us, and He says, I'm giving it unique to each person. It's not the same as it is, it's not the same that's for me than it is for Kyle. It's not the same in my life than it is in Martinez's life. We are all different, and God gifts us uniquely. And I'm thankful for that because a church full of Leonard's would be, it would be an attractive church, but that's about it, eh? <laughs> it won't be good if it's a church full of Leonard's. No, God has given us a church full of different people with different gifts. And he says, because I've gifted you uniquely, 
I want you to bring your unique gift to the table. And when we do that, when each of us brings our part, when each of us steps into the battle, into the army of God that Carla spoke about last week, all of us are built up and all of us move forward. In exactly the same way, if one of us pulls back and we don't give ourselves in the army of God, we leave each other exposed. And we are actually susceptible to the darts and the, um, and the accusations and the work of the enemy. So my encouragement this morning and what I'm going to speak about is specifically the third portion of Scripture, which is in Romans 12, which I'll get to um, in a moment. But my encouragement is for you to enlist in the army of God, actually, is to bring what you have, bring what God has given to you uniquely. And maybe for some of you, you need to still discover what that is. And I'm hoping that this morning you'll discover a bit more what that thing is that God has given you to give to the body of Christ. And I'm hoping that all of us actually this morning would come to a place where we say, I want to be part of not just the bride of Christ, but also the army of Christ. I want to move forward. I want to do things for God. I want to not just be part of uh, my king. I want to be part of his kingdom as well. I want to give myself actively to the working of his kingdom. And I also think that there are some of you who might need to re-enlist in the army of God this morning. It might be that for a time you gave yourself to the army of God. You gave yourself to the kingdom of God. You gave yourself to the church. But something happened along the line. It was disappointment or you didn't. Um, you weren't appointed into a next level, level of leadership and you felt that you deserved it and you gave yourself for it. I'm not quite sure what happened, but I know there are various disappointments within the body of Christ. And it's normal. If you haven't gone through it, you will go through it at some stage. God will test you on those things. And I think the second group that I'm trusting for this morning is those people who maybe have given themselves in a season of their lives, but have stepped back for whatever reason. And I want to encourage you, come on, re-enlist in the army of God. Get active again. Trust God again to awaken those gifts that he put in you. I know Paul, when he speaks to Timothy, he says, fan into flame the gift that was given to you by the laying on of hands by the elders. So he's saying, I know the gift is there, just fan it into flame again. And I'm trusting that for some of you, where that fire has just gone dim, it's still there, there's a little bit of a spark there, that's probably why you're here this morning, it's probably why you're involved in church. I'm trusting that this morning it would just be fanned into flame again, and that that thing would be active, burning inside you to say, God, you've given me something unique, I want to give that to the body of Christ. Okay, so we're going um, to obviously speak about bringing what you have. But a big part of this, I think many people actually get stuck and feel like they can't bring what they have because of misunderstanding of good works. Because what we have, what we bring to the table are actually good works, you know? Do you know that God has prepared good works for you to do? Things in his kingdom that he's asking you to do um, in the sense of him giving you good works that he's prepared, and we'll look at that scripture, prepared in advance for each one of you to do. But I think many of us feel like I don't want to do these good works because I feel like I'm doing dead works. And I want to just look at the, the, um, specifically those scriptures around good works in the Bible before we get to Romans 12. Just to, in a sense, lay a foundation for us to see that actually there's a balance that we need to find. And I'll get to that. So firstly, what many of us start to do when we realize that we need to give ourselves to the, to, to the work of God. And this is where many Christians actually get stuck. 
we feel that we need to do good works for salvation. Whereas we'll see that later, but the Bible never says that, just keep it there. The Bible actually encourages us to do good works from a place of salvation, not for that place of salvation. And so many Christians are actually, I, when I thought about this and I was preparing, I thought of um, when Carla and I, before we started dating and just when we started dating, any of you who have ever been in love in your life before? No one, just me, just a few. About 10 or 15 of us, great. So still are. <laughs> but I remember when I started dating, I had this fear of messing up in me. And it was a big fear, to be honest. And I wanted to do everything in me to not make a mistake because I felt like if I make a mistake, then I'll lose her affection towards me. And so I remember really going out of my way. I would, um, I've told her this, I only told her this after we got married. <laughs> I didn't want her to know beforehand. But I remember times when I was so flat broke. I had almost no money. And my last bit of money, I would go visit her. It would cost me 500 rand because I'd have to drive from Bloberg Strand to Swellendam and back. And I'd go work it out to the T. And I know, okay, if I'm going to go visit her, I need to take flowers. And I'd buy her flowers. Well, not. I bought her an awkward ones. And now she's saying she doesn't get flowers anymore. <laughs> but I remember that time. I would buy her flowers. It would be my last money. I don't have much money left. Buy her flowers because I just want to win her affection over. And then what I do is I drive all the way, know that when we're there, we have to go to a restaurant or something, and I need to pay. I'm the man. Guys, take tips here. Pay when you take a lady out. Don't let her pay as far as possible, obviously. <laughs> Students, I know it's a bit more difficult. At least try. <laughs> okay. But pay for the coffee or, or something like that. So then I'd pay for that. And my money would be up. I still needed to get back to Bloberg Strand. And I remember I'd skip the tunnel because that's, that was 32 Rand 50 and I didn't have 32 Rand 50 back then. I'd drive the alternative route and I'd put my car out of gear and I would free all the way down the Toysklerf Pass. And with my last bit of petrol, I would get to Bloberg Strand and not eat for a day or two. No, I'm kidding. But you know what, when it comes to dating, it's, it's almost like we so, and I remember, I don't know if some of you are like that, but there was this thing in me that I didn't want to make a mistake. I was scared that I would lose her affection. So I do a lot of works, a lot of things to win her affection over. And I think many Christians do that with God. But that's not how we should approach God. God is not into the dating scene with us. God is into the covenant scene with us. And it's a total different thing. It's marriage versus dating. It's not the same thing. And so I think what many Christians do is we think we need to do good works. We need to do things to win the affection of God. And we feel like whenever we make a mistake, big or small, we lose the affection of God and we just need to do things again to win the affection of God back. And I want to say God is not, God is not like that. God has made a covenant with you. He died on the cross to show his love for you, Romans 5 verse 8. It says, um, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly to show that he loves us. And so God is not going to, um, say, oh, you made a mistake, my affection for you is gone. And God is not going to say, you better just do five good things, spend all your money, do all of these good works to win my affection. God is not like that. God says, you have my affection. And from that place, you do. 
So let's just look at Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. And after this, we're going to read 10, which just sums it up so beautifully. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The moment you pay for a gift, it's not a gift anymore. The moment you feel you like you need to do a bunch of things for a gift, you take away the fact that it's a gift. It no longer is a gift. It becomes something earned. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen, you will never attain to the righteousness of God. You'll never be able to do enough good works to win the affection of God. He gives it to you as a gift. Salvation is a gift. And I think many Christians, for some reason, burn themselves out. And many non-believers try and burn themselves out to get to a place of salvation. Where that was never the case. You see, Christianity is so much different than any other religion. Where other religions, you have to do that, what I said earlier. You have to climb this ladder to get to God. You have to do your good works. You have to give to the poor. You have to pray three times a day. You have to pray in a specific posture. You have to do A, B, and C. And eventually, if you do those things perfectly, you attain to the standards of God and you get to God. You do good works for salvation. But what God has done in Jesus Christ is he's flipped that ladder around. And he says, from a place of salvation, now let's do this together. Not for, but from. You can go to the next one. So in Christianity, we work from salvation to works. See, good works are not all of a sudden just cut out because it doesn't win the favor of God for us. But we've, because we've got the favor of God, we, because we are saved, we work from a place of salvation. It's just, it's different. And if you've ever been on either of those sides, you would know the difference as a Christian. You'd know when you're feeling like you, you're doing these things just to get God's love. Or when you're doing these things because you've got God's love. And there's a big difference. And we need to be in the second plane. You can read verse 10 of Ephesians, um, Ephesians 2 verse, we read 8 and 9. And then it goes on, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, so I'm hoping you're follow, following me here. Let me just quickly recap, because I really wanted as a foundation for what I want to say about Romans 12 a bit later. Many of us think that we need to do good works to attain to righteousness, but actually from a place of righteousness, we do good works. In fact, um, uh, Isaiah 64 verse 6, it says that if we do the good works for salvation, it actually says that those things are almost like filthy rags in the eyes of God. And that word filthy rags, as actually Saki would be able to tell us, um, it's, it's actually not the, not the best way to explain it. Actually what it's saying is it speaks about menstrual cloths, meaning something that was called unclean in the Old Covenant. It's like God detests it. He doesn't like it when we try and do these things to earn salvation. He actually hates it. It's it, it's something unclean in its sight. He does not like it. But he is pleased when we work from a place of salvation, when we give ourselves, when we enlist in the army of God because he's done a good work in our lives. Okay. I'm hoping 
I know it's graphic, but that's <laughs> it's really what the Bible says. So let's move over to Romans 12. And as I said, it's gonna, what Paul is going to do here is he's going to just give us a foundation for a few specific gifts that he wants to say, people are different, and I'm going to give different gifts to different people, but I want to just give you, uh, he wants to sort of set, set something to build from, which is really important for us to see. So we're going to read through this, then I'm going to go through the specific gifts that he says in Romans, we call it the Romans 12 gifts, specific things that people in the body of Christ are called for. And I want to say it's not an exhaustive list, meaning it's not, that's not it, there might be more things, but it's a good list to work from. Verse 3 in Romans 12 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. So what Paul is saying is, he's saying, I want to actually, in a moment, he's going to get to a place where he says, come on, this is a gift that you can walk in. This is a gift that you can walk in. Give yourself to this. Give yourself to this. If God is calling you for this, run with it. That's what he wants to say. But what he does before that is he underpins it with humility. He says, before I start spurring you onto good gifts, I first want you to understand that you should not think more highly of yourself than you ought. If the thoughts ever pop up into my mind saying things like, the elders just don't see the gift upon my life. Or my community leader just doesn't know what lies within me. Or my gift is just not being recognized in this body. I better find another body. When those things start popping up, it's because I think we're starting to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. When we enlist in the army of God, when we give ourselves, it should be done with an underpin of humility, saying, I'm doing it for my king and for him alone. I don't want to think too highly of myself. I want to give myself only because he gave himself to me. You can go on to the, to the next part. Verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And now Paul starts listing a couple. And what I'm trusting for is as we go through these things, some of it might stand out for you. And you might think, ah, oh, that might be me. Or, ooh, that could be me. And I just, I want to ask you, maybe just be sensitive to what God is doing here. For some, you'll recognize something and you'll say, okay, that's definitely me. I'm walking in it, or I should walk in it more, or something like that. But, but for some of you, this is brand new. And you maybe just got saved. And you're like, I don't know what God is calling me for, but I'm trusting that God will speak to you as we go through some of these things. Let's see, then he lists it. If prophecy in proportion to your faith, our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so I'm going to go through them one by one, and, and I'm hoping that some of it would, stir, would, would get stirred in you. So you can go to the first one. Firstly, Paul says, 
if prophecy in proportion to your faith, what is he trying to say? What he's saying is that I think sometimes what we do is we really want God to be fair. Okay? We think that fairness is sort of the standard for life. And sometimes when something happens good to another person and it doesn't happen to you exactly the same, we think God is so unfair. But you know what? God is not unfair. He's given all of us life. He's given all of us Jesus Christ. But also what he does is, and it's, it's okay, I'm going to burst your bubble. God is not always fair. <laughs> and we should make peace with it, right? But what God does is it says in proportion to your faith. It means that for some people he gives a bigger portion of faith when it comes to the gift of prophecy than to others. Some people can prophesy. And some people can prophesy. That's what he's saying. Some people in here can prophesy, and then some are like me. I can prophesy. <laughs> and there's a difference. <laughs> in, in, in Ephesians 4 that Kala spoke about last week, he spoke, specifically spoke about those people with the gift of prophecy. It is, we call it the office of a prophet. That is, that's like a big gift prophet. But we also see in the Bible, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that he wants every single person actually to be able to speak in tongues. So if you don't speak in tongues, then it's not supposed to be a spooky thing, but I think it's, it's something that Paul at least said, he desires that everyone speaks in tongues. And tohle, for the Afrikaans mense, nie in tonge nie. Some people say that. So Paul says that, but then he goes on, Paul says, I want all to speak in tongues, but especially that everyone would prophesy. So he's saying tongues, yes, that's good, but prophecy, I actually, Paul says, I actually want every single person to be able to prophesy. Why? Because tongues, when I speak in tongues, it builds me up. When I prophesy, it builds you up. And Paul knew that what's more important is how I build up others and not how I build up myself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And anytime we start taking our eyes away from this and lifting it there, we become more effective in the kingdom of God. And so my first petition to all of you is, my desire, like Paul, is that everyone would prophesy, that this would be a gift that everyone is able to walk in. And I know, like for me, someone could be driving out demons just here behind me. I won't feel a thing. And some people would just know. They'd sense it in the spirit. or they'd, They're just very in tune to these things. But I still believe that I can prophesy. But I know that it's different for some people. They're more in tune with these things. So I want to encourage you, everyone sitting here, trust God to be able to prophesy to someone else. Pray for them. And as you pray, trust that God would lead your prayers. Trust that God would set something on your heart that you feel there's just this unction in your heart to pray for something specific. And then maybe go to that person and say, I prayed for you and I felt like God was laying this on my heart. You know what? It doesn't have to be perfect as long as it builds that person up. That is the heart behind prophecy. And then for those of you who are really like prophetic prophets amongst us, I think I don't see um, Warren here this morning, but I've just, if I've been around Warren, and I don't want to single people out, but it just feels like there's really a prophetic gift on that man's life. There was once we were at community at Martinez and LaSalle's house, he started prophesying and I just felt like there's a gift here. There's a gift. And for those of you that have that gift of prophecy, use it. Don't sit on that gift. Prophesy. Build up the body of Christ. We miss it when you don't do that. Prophecy, in essence, for those of you who don't know, is just 
hearing from God for someone else. So use that thing. Use prophecy. Go to the next one. Service in our serving. Right, this is a plain. Paul is, is making it quite simple. Service in your serving. It's quite an easy one to understand. But um, I, I once heard a story. Let me first say this. If you are in full-time ministry, it's sometimes a very difficult thing. I think it's almost the same as when someone's a doctor. Tarin would know that. The moment you say to someone, if they ask you, what do you do? And you say, I'm a doctor. Then everyone says, oh, yeah, now that you mention it, I've got this little thing here behind. I don't know what it is. Don't you want to quickly have a look at it? Or Rulo, for instance, he's a physio. If he says to someone, I'm a physio, oh, now that you mention it, my back is, ah. yeah, it's killing me. Don't you just, I, I know it's not your work time, but just quickly have a look at the back. You know what I'm speaking about? Some occupations are just like that. Engineer, oh, cool, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but being a pastor is actually similar. You know what happens? Someone would be themselves smoking, drinking, or using swear words. The moment they ask you, so what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, I'm a Christian too. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like this mask is on people, and you can't get to the real person because they just sort of pretend to be someone who they're not. They think you are super holy for some reason, and they don't allow you to really just come in there and, and be a normal person to a normal person. It actually, for those of you who are not in full-time ministry, many times, most times, you actually have an advantage when it comes to the lost because people don't put up a veneer when they're around you. It's, it's, it's a big disadvantage in many ways, actually. An advantage and a disadvantage. So I know that sometimes what I try and do is so if someone asks me, so what do you do or what, do you, what did you study, especially when it was the what did you study thing, I try and mask it up. So I don't say theology. I just say, if they ask, what did you study? Theology. <laughs> just study theology. It's got an ology on the end, and you sort of try and go on with the conversation, try and hide away the fact that you're a pastor. And so I heard a story of a, um, of a pastor that was on a plane once. And there was a person sitting next to him, and he was in, in the same precarious position where the guy next to him asked him, so what do you do? And he thought, oh man, I actually want to, I want to try and lead this person to Jesus, but I'm, if I tell him that, he's going to just switch off. Because people have this preconceived idea. And so he said to him, well, I work for this big worldwide global company. We do a bit of everything, to be honest. Um, we've got thousands, thousands of sites all over the world, some countries more than others, um, very diverse, We've got a diverse group of people, and we do many things, we're into um, development of people, yes, that's one thing, we have teaching, teaching, we teach people, yeah, we do social upliftment, it's an amazing company, to be honest, it's, it's like, it's one, and this guy's sort of racking his brain, brain, because like, I've never heard of this company, he's like, no, you, def it's, Whatever, yeah, so we do many things. And he sort of just keeps on explaining all the things that the church does without calling it a church, right? And I want you to quickly just place yourself in that position. Let's look at, um, at church as this person explained it. Let's say that it was an organization, just a normal organization, which is not. It's not a business. Many churches treat it like a business. It's not a business. But the boss of this organization 
is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he is the head of the church. He is the head of this organization. And if you were like this guy, imagine that you, and you are, if you enlist in the body of Christ, if you become part of the army of Christ, you are part of this organization. You work for this organization. You are a slave of this organization, the Bible says. So just imagine you moving to a new town. Do you think you would have the liberty as part of this organization to just tell your boss, listen, I know there's about 20 branches in this town. I'm just going to pick the one that I like most, and I'm going to do there what I feel like doing there. If you don't like it, mm, I'll just do what I feel comfortable with. What do you think the boss will say? <laughs> well, fired. Hopefully God doesn't do that. But the boss will not be very happy with you. He's going to say, no, no, no. I'm going to send you to the place where I need you. And I'm going to ask you to, in that place, do what I need you to do for the better of the company. Not necessarily only for the better of you. Obviously, there's a part of that in there. But it's for the company. And the same with the church. You know what? God wants us to serve where he needs us. Not like, oh, I don't feel like being part of the company today. I don't feel like giving my part in the company. No. If we have a good understanding of this, we should be able to say, God, wherever you want to use me, however you want to use me, whenever you want to use me, use me. I want to serve in your kingdom. It's actually a funny story. One of the elders in Weinberg congregation, when he first came to Josh and I heard this story, we were on a potential elders camp together and he told this story. Says the first time he went to Josh Jen, he was totally freaked out, like some of you were this morning in worship. He felt like, what are these people doing? They're so weird. <laughs> and, um, and as the worship started, he, he sort of wanted to get out. And as he tried to leave at the back door, the back door was locked. <laughs> and so he couldn't get out. <laughs> and this is honest. This is his, his story. I'm not, I'm not um, putting tails onto it. He said, and so he called his mom. <laughs> from the church and he's like mom I can't get out of this place these people are weird but then he stuck around for the service at the end of the service um, he went home he spent time with God and he prayed about which because he was looking for a church to join and God said to him I want you to join the church that challenges you the most and so he joined Josh Chen <laughs> and now a couple of years later he's an elder in Josh Chen he's a fantastic guy he's a clinical psychologist but he's really a good guy and he serves as part of the Weinberg congregation. Do we have that same thing within us that we would say, God, where do you want me? How do you want me to serve? So, I mean, this is not a pitch for Fuert now, but just for instance this morning. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Can we at least be open to say, God, it's not my thing, but I want to serve where you want me to serve? In any area of the church, in any area of the body of Christ. I think Jan, where's Jan? I want to honor Jan this morning, Jan Taljart. He's serving. Oh, there. <laughs> I thought he's serving. I mean, Jan is really an incredible example for me of this. He serves wherever there's a need. I asked him to oversee the sound, and he oversaw the sound for a long time now. And when I actually spoke a bit longer to him, I realized sound's not actually his thing. It never was his thing. And so I said, but why did you get involved with sound? He said, no, because there was, there was a need, and so I got involved. Same thing with kids. He serves there because there's a need, not because it's the, most, most, the easiest thing for him. And can we say that as part of this company, as part of the body of Christ, let's serve where there's a need. 
And some of you are especially gifted. I think Jan especially is gifted. And you so demonstrate the heart of Christ when you give where there's a need. And can I ask you, look for the need. Give yourself there. Go to the next one. Teaching. In your teaching. So when it comes to teaching, you are the person, if I can tell you, you are now. You are the person sitting here thinking, Leonard, I would do that differently. Well, Leonard, just when you said that, I think a better way to phrase it would have been like this. Or, oh, if they can just give me a shot with that mic, I'd show them. You know how I know that? Because I'm like that. <laughs> I do that and I did that for a long time. You know, you are going to get the shock of your life. Standing here is different than sitting there. Let me just burst your bubble. The moment you need to go sit and prepare, it's like... You had all these brilliant ideas, but when you need to do it, it's your, your boots start shaking. It's a different thing, right? But I want to say, if those thoughts come up in your mind, you think, how can you phrase things? How can you explain things? How can you, how can you teach people so that they can walk further in their walk with God? Then I think the gift of teaching is on your life. God is stirring something in your heart, and you need to do something about it. And I know that there are only so many opportunities to preach in church. But we've got things. We've got a preacher's club that runs every now and then. If your gift is teaching, have you gone? And if you haven't, why not? And I also want to say that teaching, I, a rule that I try and make for myself, is everything that I say from here, I want to be able to say having coffee with someone. If I tell a story to illustrate a point, I want to be able to tell that same story when I have coffee with someone to bring that through. So if you're a teacher... If that thing is burning on your heart, start by having coffee with people. People who struggle, disciple people by teaching. And teaching even in your discipleship, in your coffee moments. Give yourself in that way. Go to the next one. Exhortation in your exhortation. So exhortation is just a fancy word of saying you see the gold in other people. And you tell them, yes, like ink, <laughs> for instance. You see the good in other people when they don't see it in themselves. For me, and I'm not over-exaggerating here, the reason I'm standing here this morning is because of someone that was an exhorter and that walked in their gift. And I know that I've still got a lot to learn, but I believe that I'm able to contribute to the body a lot now because of someone that exhorted me. Someone had an influence on me, and because of the influence he had on me, I'm able to have an influence on other people. So that exhorter's influence actually goes a long way still. It's um, Hendrik Kriel at the back, a good friend of his, JP, that I'm speaking about. So when I came to study um, uh, in Wellington, I studied theology. I studied theology there. <laughs> and honestly, when I came to study theology, I did not want to be a church leader. I don't know what I wanted to be, but I did not want to be a church leader. I think probably mostly I wanted to be a hippie worship leader. That's, that was my thing. <laughs> so I'd wear the skinny jeans... I'd, um, I grew my hair long, I wanted to play every instrument, that's what I thought I saw in myself. But there was this guy, JP, a good friend of Hendrik, that saw something else in me and he called it out, he exhorted me. He said, I see a leader in you. And because he saw it in me, I started seeing it in myself. I didn't know it was there until he showed me it was there. And there's some of you who are just keeping your mouth shut too much. You see golden people. When you look around, you see people who actually have a lot to give, but they're not giving it. Call it out. Say it. Say it. Rudy, you're, there's, there is a leader in you, definitely. When, and I'm, this is not an example. I'm, I'm being serious now. 
when I'm around you, I feel like there's a leader within you. And I feel like God is going to use you mightily in his church. He is. And you need to give yourself to that thing. Right. And I think you are. Rudy is really is doing everything he can. He spent his last money to be able to go to Brazil a while ago on an outreach because he's angry for the things of God because there's a leader in you. And God is going to raise you up to be a mighty man in his eyes. Right. I'm, I really mean that. Do that. Well, how difficult was that? It wasn't difficult. When you see it in someone, call it out. Call out the golden people. You're not lying. If you really see it, call it out. Some of you are excellent exhorters. Use the gift that has been given to you. Generosity in your contributions. So we sort of, in this one, we sort of tend to hop around it because we don't want to speak about money because then people feel like you're intruding in their finances. And so I know generosity is not necessarily only finances. You can give of your time, you can give of your energy, you can give of your skills, definitely. So if that's you, then give of those things. But I think that a lot of what Paul was speaking about here is also financial giving. Some of you have been blessed to be able to make money, but that money is not just for yourself. It's for me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm only joking if you think I'm joking, eh? <laughs> no, no, to be brutally honest, there's some of you, especially I think in a town like Stellenbosch, there's some of you going to have big moolah one day, I can't wait, right? But, but really, God has blessed some of you with a mind for business, a mind for making money, and that is not just so that you can retire a wealthy person at the end of your life. Yes, look after your family. Yes, look after those things. That's not a bad thing. But also look after the body of Christ. So, because you've been blessed. And I think, don't be scared. And, and I know that's a difficult thing. We like, I don't want to, it feels like you're intruding in someone's life when you speak about their finances and ask them to give more because it seems manipulative. And I know in many churches that gets manipulated. Honestly, I know. But just as much as I'd like you to be able to if you think I'm not walking in the leadership gift in my life, I want you to speak up about it. So come and tell me, Leonard, why are you not leading like you should be leading? You should have that liberty. And the same, we hop around this one, but actually we should be able to say, you're not giving like you should be giving. Tithe, that's, that's, that's set out. I'm not speaking about a tithe. I'm speaking about people giving over and above to the work, to the body of Christ. All right, next one. Leadership with zeal. And I put a flame there because if you're a leader, you need a flame under your bum the whole time. You need to be not able to sit still, actually. So I had coffee with a guy one day, and he told me that he feels like God is calling him to be a leader in the church, to lead a church, in fact. And uh, he was an intern from TMT at our Sunningdale congregation. And at that stage, he'd been there for uh, three, four months. And so I asked him, okay, let me just ask you a few questions. Um... Have you been to any of the elders' houses? No, 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 I haven't. Okay. Um, have you had coffee with your community leaders? No, no, I haven't. Okay. Um, uh, what gaps do you see in the church? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm like, dude, if you feel, sorry, I didn't say, I probably did say dude because he's a young guy. But I said, if you feel like God is calling you to be a leader, you need to do it with zeal. That's what the Bible says. Leadership is not a passive thing. It's not a lackadaisical thing. It's not a, a blasé thing. It's not that. It's something that you do with zeal. It's something where you, you are intentional. You look for a gap. You make a change. You make a difference. 
And so I jokingly, I said to him, listen, I'm going to help you become the leader that God wants you to be. So I wrote at the top of a page, I said, flame list. And I said, number one, have coffee with all the elders. Be front-footed, have zeal. Cool. Number two, have coffee with your community leaders. Cool. Number three, start leading in some area. Start walking a road with someone. Start discipling someone. Number three, I said, I'm not going to believe you ever again if you say you're a leader unless you've started with these three things. And I'm hope, and I think it, it put a flame under him that he felt like, okay, I need to be front-footed in my leadership. And if you're a leader here, and I think there are leaders sitting here who maybe you've let that flame grow dull. Man, we need you. We need you. We want to feel you in our kidneys as the elders. We want to know. Oh, that's, that's a saying. It means like, <laughs> come close. We want to feel you right behind us, right behind us. And speak up. Say, I feel like God is calling me to, to be a community leader. What do you think I need to work on in my life? How do you think God still wants to shape me? Like, come, and it's not, a, it's not a sin to say, I feel like God is calling me to be an elder. As long as you do it with the underpin of humility, like Paul said, and not feel like you are entitled. Because if you say that, then we can say, cool, that's good. The Bible says it's a noble thing to, to desire to be an elder, but let's work on that. Let's disciple you. Let's see how you can start walking those things. Come on, man. If you're a leader, don't let that flame go out. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I'm serious. Don't let it go out. We need it. We need those flames. We need you to lead with zeal. And I think some of you have just let it gone cold. Don't. Please don't. Last one. Young guys, like I think Dan Spann also has got a leader in him. Come on, man, we need it. Acts of mercy. Daniel Spaniard, sorry. <laughs> acts of mercy and cheerfulness. When I say acts of mercy, who do you think about? Anyone? Huh? Kim Memel, who else do you think about? Charles Reinecke, right? Some people have got a mercy art. They cannot drive past Kai Mundi or Kai Leecher without thinking we've got so much, they need what we have. They need us to go in there and help. And it's not a, um, I, I love what Charles is doing. He's made incredible friends with the guy staying there. He's really discipled well. He's raising up leaders there. He's doing a good work. But it's because there's this burden on his heart that he can't drive past there and feel like he can be comfortable where he's at. He wants to be in amongst the people. And that doesn't have to be um, from here to Kai Mundi. It can be in your neighborhood where you see someone going through a tough time or in this church where you see someone going through a tough time and your heart is torn. I want to say reach out. Show the love of God. If your thing is acts of mercy, you have no idea what a big blessing it is when someone cares. When someone takes time to sit down with you and listen to your story. When someone just says, speak, I want to listen, I want to pray, and follows up and says, how can I help you? Can I bring you some food? Can I send you a word of encouragement? Can I just come visit you? Or don't you just want to come be in my house? We don't have to speak about the difficult things you're going through. Just be with me. Acts of mercy. It is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Don't let it slip out of your fingers if that's the, God, the gift that God has given you. Let me close. Um, maybe you can just close your eyes. I'm going to pray for us quickly, and then I'd like us to actually respond. There's two groups of people that I want to pray for this morning. 
Actually, I don't want to pray. I want us to pray because we're doing this thing as a body together. So the first group of people, let me pray for us and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a call for these two things. Oh God, we thank you that you call us individually with unique giftings, unique things that you've placed on our hearts for the betterment of your body. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come and stir things in our hearts, Lord. Maybe where I spoke and something just stood out to someone, Lord, I pray that that thing would burn within them, that they feel that they should give themselves to that more, God, so that all of us can be built up by that. Lord, we thank you that you say you give us things, you give us talents, and you expect a return on the things that you give us. And God, may we be a people who are active in your kingdom. Let us not just be Sunday churchgoers that come and leave, but don't make an effect and don't make an impact on your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you'd keep stirring this word in the hearts of people. Amen.